Portland this past week, we saw a man begging for money on the corner of the street, and they asked the question, Dad, why is it that there are people that hold signs and they ask for stuff on the street side? And so that led into a discussion about being benevolent, and that turned into a discussion about how God has entrusted us with some money, and we need to be wise with the money that we have, and how we can save it back, and how we can prepare for some future events, and how we can be good givers to others. Or when the question came when we got into the car after playing with some puppies at a friend's house, and the boys asked, why do some boy dogs have all their boy parts, but other boy dogs don't have all their boy parts? My advice was, go ask your mom. You know, Proverbs teaches, my child, listen to your father's teaching and don't forget your mother's advice. I don't know what she told him, but I hope it was right. (laughs) You know, it's my understanding that in the first five years of a child's life, they are the most crucial to their development. And it is that period of time which children formulate relationships and understand how to behave within relationships within five years of life. And most children get to spend that time with their mothers most closely, which is an understandable thing. I mean, a mother gives them the comforts and sustenance to their needs in their daily caretaking, but it's the father, especially first-time fathers, that are left trying to figure out how do they parent this young child that's receiving all of their care, all the attention, and all the needs from this mother. And a father tries to find his place as a parent. And as they do, they try changing diapers, maybe warming up some milk, maybe offering that child a a bottle from time to time or laying the child down for a nap. But most fathers just struggle trying to find their place with that, that little child in their life for the first five years. And so what men do when they're trying to find their place, they do one of three things. They either leave or they weave or they cleave. Some fathers just give up on the process and they say, well, I'm really not adding or contributing to this child's life. The marriage isn't going well. She seems to be totally devoted to this kid and not to me. And so they break off the relationship and there's an absence of a father there and they're gone. Some of you have been left absent by a father like that and, and, and you don't have a father figure in your life. And there's some fathers that have decided to weave. They have seen that mom has put all the attention on this kid and they're trying to find their place. And maybe they just think, you know what, maybe my role is not to be the caretaker physically, but to be the caretaker in finances and I'll be the provider, the main source of income. And so they sink themselves into their job and they sink themselves, think, sink themselves into their work and, and, uh, and, and then maybe they come home and, and they don't really have a relationship with the kids. So they think, you know what, maybe I'll start a hobby and they get involved in a hobby or they get involved in a sport or with friends on the weekends and while the dad is 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 around from time to time he's he's there on occasion he is very absent at times and he isn't abandoned he's just he's just absent there's a shared custody there and he's not with you daily and there's other fathers there's other fathers and, and this is the majority who are good and they cleave and when they see that kid and they're trying to find their place, they ask their wife, what can I do? And they understand that right now there's going to be some awkward period of time. There's going to be maybe a few years where things are going to be difficult. I, I, I had a hard time with my children as infants. It was tough for me. I was ready for them to walk and to run and just to play and wrestle and have fun. And it was tough as a dad to find my place. And I decided to cleave. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I'm going to find out how I can be a better father to these, these kids that are going through this this upstage of one to five years old but you know what i want to tell you something that's been often under misunderstood and maybe some things that you just don't find uh, to be somewhat true maybe you find it a little bit fanciful 
And that is Satan, our enemy Satan, is attacking fathers like nobody else in this world. He has it out for you. And you have a bullseye on your chest. And he wants you to seem pushed aside as if you are worth nothing. He wants to ruin the the connection, the relationship that you have with a child. And, And children, listen, he wants to ruin the relationship that you have with your father. Because here's what we know about our society is that when the the family breaks down, it breaks down because of the father. And when the family breaks down, society starts to break down. And Satan is laughing with the light when he works on the heart of the father, works on the heart of the children. He causes this relationship disconnect because he knows if he can win the father over and just make him feel like he's not worth anything, he can't provide anything, he's not helping in, the, in these five years, then he can win over society. And he can create all these societal woes. Children, listen, Satan wants to ruin the relationship that you have with your dad. He wants to destroy that relationship. And the enemy, the enemy knows this because he wants you to have a distorted relationship of the heavenly father. He doesn't want you to have a good relationship with your dad because he wants you to have a mischaracterized relationship with the heavenly father. He wants you to think of the Heavenly Father as maybe abusive or authoritative or unloving or unmerciful or ungracious or has abandoned you in this world. And wouldn't it be his greatest trick to say, you see, God's just like that dad of yours down on earth. That's the enemy that is speaking. Dads, you have a lot of pressure on you. Moms, you need to wise up a little bit and you need to help him out. And understand, he's trying to find his groove. He's just trying to find the lane to drive in. And you need to say, honey, here's how you can help. You need to be direct and pointed, but you don't need to put too much pressure on the guy. Now, I'm not asking and requesting for lazy fathers here this morning. I just want you to understand that Satan has guys like me in his crosshairs. And dad, Satan would love it for you to think that you don't contribute. He would love it for you to think that mom's are more important than fathers. I think there's a lot of dads in here that feel, feel that way. Well, my kids are great. They, 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 they love me, but they really love their mother. And you look at mom as the one that's given them everything, and you just kind of given them a few things. Let me say this. The relationship with the mother is very, very powerful. But it's not the same as the relationship that a child has with, with the father. The, 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 the relationship with the mother is very powerful, but it's not the same as with the father. And the devil is attacking fathers more than anyone else in the family. And they're convincing fa- he's convincing fathers that, that the job is more important, that the hobby is more important, that the entertainment, the friends are more important than his wife and his children. And I know some of you in this room today, you have awful stories about your dad. Some of you don't have any stories about your dad because you've never known. You've never known him. And here's my hope today as a pastor to speak into your life a little bit that you don't view our heavenly father the same way that you you view your earthly father. Don't buy into the devil's misrepresentation of who God is. And I want to tell you today that if you have wounds from your dad, if you have dad wounds, father wounds, that God can solve every problem that you have. He can solve every problem that you have. God is the solution to every problem. And dads, if you're thinking today about the relationship you're having with your kids, 
And days like today kind of haunt you a little bit because you've really dropped the ball. You've fumbled your kids as a father. I want you to know today you can make some meaningful steps. Today it can happen, make some meaningful steps to repair the relationship, to help bandage up the wounds. It's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be this miraculous healing that takes place with your kids and within their heart, but you can take some steps today to show them love, to show them patience, to show them that you care as a dad. And if you have a father wound and you're here this morning, would you allow God to start working on your heart today? To not be so bitter as when you walked in towards that man or not be so upset, but allow God to to start that healing in your life if you've been wounded by your dad. And to those who have been wounded by your father, let me give you this great bit of advice. Here's some advice that you can write down. You can take it to the bank. What's important is not the home you came from, but the home that you're building now. That's what's important. What's important is not your past and where you came from, because you can blame things till, till, till the sun sets about your past, about the reasons why you are the way you are. It's important about how you're building your new home. You know, in the areas where your dad might have failed, you look at those areas and you say, I don't want to fall in that same pattern. You know that sediment like father, like son? Don't allow those, those faults of your fathers to be continued into your life. Learn from him. For example, if your dad didn't show much compassion or appreciation for your mom, and you know maybe there's that trap that you can fall into, then work on being someone that shows compassion and appreciation and love to your wife, maybe even in an extreme sense, and do it regularly. Or maybe you've discovered that your dad wasn't a very good uh, manager of money, and he just spent every paycheck on things that just didn't have any value in life. And you know, if you're not, if you're not careful, you can fall into that same trap. So break that cycle. And put yourself in a habit of being good managers with your money and spend it on things that have meaning. Maybe you got a father wound today, but I want you to know that you can profit from your dad's mistakes. Your dad may not be too forgiving towards you. He may not be too gracious towards you. He might have been having a heavy hand of discipline when you were a younger kid. And because of that, you know that you too could be spiteful to your father and ungracious to him and unmerciful back to him because you really want to lay it to them. But learn from those mistakes. Be gracious, even though he may not be gracious to you. And you know what? Children, be realistic. There are no perfect dads. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we've hurt the relationship that our Heavenly Father wants to have with us. We've been unruly, undisciplined children according to the Heavenly Father. And it is no wonder why God just doesn't lose His temper, wipe us clean, and just do away with a lot of us. I mean, I don't know why God just didn't say, okay, we'll restart. Let's just start from the top. Matt's no good. Let's, he's just a lump of clay anyway. New Matt, here he comes. Why did He just wipe us out? I'll tell you why. Because He wanted to demonstrate the heart of a father. The heart of the father was, I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to show grace. I almost lost my notes. And he wants to take our sin-dead lives, he wants to show us Jesus Christ, and he wants us to come to him and realize that we have ruined the relationship. We have ruined the relationship. So if you're someone here who has a, has, has a, has a father wound, remember, you've wounded the heavenly father. If you're someone here that has a child wound, remember, 
You've wounded the Heavenly Father, and He shows us a great amount of grace, a great amount of comfort, a great amount of love. And so how do you think you should respond to someone whom you think should be not forgiven? With forgiveness. So I'm asking you today to allow God to heal your heart, whether you're child or father, and pray the prayer, God, I want, I want to be a father who loves. I want to be a child who can love my father. Will you forgive me so that I can forgive others? And with the measure you use of forgiveness on me, may I extend that same measure to you. Would you soften my heart towards him? Let's remember, it's not about the home you came from. It's about the home that you're building now. But maybe your dad was great. At least had some qualities about him of greatness. And you can learn from those things, can't you? I mean, my dad was really good about leaving the pressures of his job at the office. And every time he walked in the house, he walked in happy and excited. He'd give people hugs. He would give us kisses. He would ask us about our day. And he would just shower us with that. And having experienced that, I try to make my homecomings, my daily homecomings, the same as what I knew when I grew up. Maybe you've witnessed your father be really honest in some little things, like the first time you saw that a cashier gave him too much money in the change that he was receiving back, and he said, whoa, you gave me a dollar too much. And you're thinking, that's a benefit. This is good. They gave you an extra dollar. And now you're seeing, wait a minute. My dad was faithful with the little things. And you need to implement those things in your life, being faithful in the, in the little things. So fathers, let me say to you, Satan wants you to be a deadbeat dad. That's what he wants from you. He wants to remove you from the daily grind of life because you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. But let me, let me tell you the truth. It's the everyday, regular routine things that you're a part of that is contributing the most to your child's life. It's the everyday common things that you're a part of that's contributing to your child's life. It's not the spectacular vacation. It's not um, the most overabundance or overindulgence lifestyle you can give for your kids. It's the everyday things that you do, just being in your child's life that make the biggest difference. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, because the Bible points this out from the very beginnings when there is an establishment of standards for families and for the world. Moses, who wrote down these words in Deuteronomy, had just come off of Mount Horeb, and, 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 and it's a mountain that exists in Saudi Arabia, still there. Um, God met Moses on that mountaintop, and when God showed up, that mountain looked like it turned into fire. And so the Hebrews were just coming out of slavery from, uh, from the Egyptians, and they were at the base of that mountain. Moses had gone up, met with God, and the Shekinah glory was shining of God. God was shining brightly like the sun. And so the Hebrews said, no, we're going to give that mountain a new name. We're going to call it Mount Sinai. Sinai is the Hebrew word for shining bright as the sun. So God is in their presence, shining brightly as the sun. Moses has met with God, and here he comes down like Charlton Heston off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are simply ten moral standards that if we could have lived up to, there would have been no more need for any more written law. If we could have just held to the Ten Commandments, there would have been no more need for any moral regulations. If we could have just held on to these simple ten things. And Moses comes down and says, here's what God wants of you. And let, let me just spell it out for you. And there is in this sense, and in Deuteronomy 6, God, Moses, telling his, Moses talking to parents, but especially talking to the head of the household. 
who is the Father. Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me. So imagine him standing there with these commandments in his hands. And he's saying, these are, these are them. These are God's top ten. You observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, Deuteronomy 6. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. That means like an amazing place, just as the Lord, the God your ancestors promised you. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with your heart and with your soul and with all your strength. These commandments, dads, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, the, tie them as symbols on, on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. That every chance you get, you teach your children to fear and respect the Lord. Not just like that one special talk that you have, but every day while you're driving in the car or you're meeting with your kids around, you know, Brigham Young University, BYU did some research and they found out that the most important events in a child's life are when a, a father sits down and has dinner with their kid, watches TV with their kid. Every dad can watch TV with their kid, play with their kid. It wasn't the trips. It wasn't the vacations. It wasn't the recitals. It was the routine things of life that those children remembered and loved the most about their dads. The ordinary activities. And here's why the presence of a father is so important in the mundane things of life. It's because dads approach things completely different than moms do. This is why. This is why dads are important. This is why fathers, you're important. When, when my brother first brought home a motorcycle at the age of 18, my mom was a wreck. Just thinking that my brother and I would get into a wreck. And she would remind us every day, the laws in California, you had to wear a helmet. And she'd say, make sure you wear your helmet and make sure you wear some long pants and make sure you put on some shoes and make sure you wear a heavy coat. Mom, it's the middle of summer and we have a motorcycle. We're not doing any of these things. And I remember the first day he brought home that motorcycle, my dad hopped on it immediately. He had long hair at the time. He hopped on it immediately, no helmet. And he just took off at breakneck speed. And I heard my mom yelling, Mike, put on a helmet. My dad came back and he... She just read him the right act. He came back. He got off the motorcycle. He said, look, Linda, the speed I was going, a helmet would have done me no good. <laughs> you know, that motorcycle brought a lot of fear to my mother, but it brought a lot of freedom to my dad. And they viewed that thing with a different approach on how we should enjoy it and how we should ride it. Fathers, fathers play differently with their children than mothers do. A mother's idea of fun with her child is much different than a father's idea of fun also. Most moms play safe with their kids. Dads encourage risk and celebrate the achievements differently. I mean, just look at the day at the zoo there. And when it comes to bonding over a meal, mothers do it radically different than fathers. This is my favorite. Oh, sorry, son. I just put a little ketchup on your cheek. I'll lick it right off for you. That's great. Don't you love it? Oh. But here's the real facts. 
Here's the real facts. Fathers have a completely different idea of what it means to protect their children than mothers do. Completely different idea. According to the Atlantic Magazine, it's reported that if a father is absent from the home, the risk of teen pregnancy skyrockets to nearly the fact that it's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. But if a father is in the home, those percentages go down dramatically. Why? Because dad has a desire, unlike mom, to see what their daughter or their son is doing with the opposite sex, and they want to know what's going on. I think every father who has a daughter should welcome their first date to the house when they're cleaning a shotgun. That's what they should do. But you know, a father's discipline is drastically different than a mother's discipline. You know that. A a mother, she disciplines more often, but a father disciplines with a firmer hand. In the book Partnership Parenting, Dr. Kyle and uh, Marsha Pruitt wrote, fathers tend to be more willing than mothers to confront their children and enforce discipline. More willing. Fathers are more willing to kick down the door and say, what's going on in this bedroom? A father relies on his authority to influence behavior. I'm the man, you listen. A mother relies on the emotional attachment that she has with the child to influence her kid's behavior. Don't do that, son. That might hurt your mother's heart. And what the fathers of old were taught what? Dad's every chance that you get. You remind your kids to respect the Lord, to have faith in the Lord. Dad's every chance you get. You remind your kids of the standards that God has set for us. And Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai. He said, I just spoke with God. Dad's listen up. Mom's listen up. Even in the ordinary things, you're to teach them. Give them this advice about the standards of living, the moral code to life. Look at verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Put a post-it note on your bathroom mirror. I mean, keep going, right? All the ways that you can remember to impress and to talk. And here's what's important about this text. That word impressed and talk is the same word with the same meaning, just translated two different ways. And when a Hebrew writer does that, they're saying, can I get it into your head for a moment? And you know what that word really means? It means to sharpen your child. (laughs) Dads? Did you have any idea why mothers might mold you to refine and sharpen your child? You're thinking, well, I thought mom was supposed to refine. When we go to a classy restaurant, it's mom who tells them to put the napkin on their lap and not just hang it over their collar like a bib. Dads, you're to refine your child so that they're sharp in this world, so that they're sharp with the word of God and they can use it like a double-edged sword so that it begins to do the surgery on their own heart and can begin to correct the immorality in their world. Dad, do everything you can to see that you keep your children sharp. Don't let your children become dull and rusty in the faith. Use every opportunity to present to them. Tie it on your forehead. Write it on your doorposts. Do everything you can in the daily routine of life Show your kids respect and love for God and His Word. You're saying, I want to do that. 
I just don't know how to do it because dad's never done it for me. I don't have a, an example. I want to be a blessing to my kids. I want my kids to adore me. And, 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 and I, want them, I want them to know. I want them to know what Deuteronomy is telling me to do here. But how do I do that? You know, you don't have to look very far. If you didn't have a, a fatherly figure to look at, you don't have to look very far than our heavenly father to figure this out. Here's, here's where you start if you want to be a blessing to your kids. Number one, love unconditionally. We just talked for the last eight weeks about how to love unconditionally and the way Jesus loved unconditionally. I mean, take a page from the Jesus book. People came to him. People were, were just living the way they wanted to live. And God said, you know what? I'm going to embrace you. And, and you know, all the preachers and all the religious people of the time said, no, don't embrace them. They're not worthy to be embraced. And God said, no, this, these are the folks that I love. And, and if they come to me, I'm not going to push them away. I'm not going to drive them away, but they need to come to me. And God, God loves us unconditionally. That means that there's nothing in this world that you can do that's going to drive his love from you. Now, like an earthly father, you can walk away from his love. You can walk away from the involvement that he wants to have in your life. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means that you've walked away from him. And the Father stands waiting to receive you and to welcome you and to love you unconditionally. He's just waiting for you to surrender to him and say, will you forgive me? So he can say, yeah, you really made a mess of things, but I will forgive you. And you know what? I don't even remember what it was that you did. Forgiven and forgotten. Dads, learn that lesson. How about this? Lift your child to a higher priority. I've heard that fathers carry pictures where they once carried money in their wallet. I think a reminder that kids are costly, not just financially, but of time. I think we hear too often about fathers who get their priorities just messed up, and they put themselves ahead of their family, or they put themselves ahead of their children, and to taking care of their needs. Look, fatherhood is going to demand something out of you, and it's going to demand that you lower yourself and humble yourself, and that you put the needs of others first. It's going to require an attitude like Christ. Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, and he became a servant. He became obedient to death. He didn't have to be, but he became obedient to death so that he could redeem us and rescue us. The humility of a father to say, you're a higher priority than myself. How about look out for the child's future? You say, well, I do. I set aside money for college. I am wanting him to make the right decisions and choices. I'm trying to direct her on what she should do next in her life. I'm helping him with the child. No, no, no. How about the eternal future? Not the temporal future, the eternal future. And I don't want you to be like the naggy mom or naggy dad. Where are you at in your faith? Where are you? But you need to bring up the conversation. Honey, why is it that you've prolonged baptism for so long? Why is it that you're not making good decisions? How are you doing with your relationship with Christ? What's that saying in a conversation like that? That conversation might need to come first before you have any kind of talk with them about moving in with their boyfriend or how they should spend their money or what path they should take for college. Spiritual things, eternal things. Set your children up for the future. How about learning to be patient? I'm terrible at this. I'm not very patient with my family. I'm patient in the church, but I'm not patient with my family, with my kids. I mean, when, I, I use the term, when, when, when are they ever going to learn? I forget that they're first graders and third graders. I forget that. 
I mean, I couldn't wait for the day where I could take off their training wheels so we could build homemade ramps and jump them. That's, I was waiting for that day. I was like, I can't get them off of training wheels. I, I can't wait until they can finally hit the intended target in the bathroom. I can't wait for that day to come. But time and growth, they just, it's just going to take a while. And I've got to be patient with my kids. I've got to be patient with their learning. I've got to be patient as they, they learn on their own. I can't teach them everything. I need to be patient like God's patient with me. Second Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise. As some of you understand slowness, He's patient with you. And you know what I say to that? Thank God He's patient with me. And I need to develop that character, the character that Christ presents to me of patience to my children. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to everyone come to repentance. He's so patient with me. And I, I, I want to learn to be patient with my kids. And you need to learn, you need, you need to live to forgive. You know, Jesus tells us the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. It's a story about this man who sits there with a great abundance of wealth. It's just kind of uh, presumed that he has a great abundance of wealth and he's got two kids and they're just frothing at the mouth to have their dad in the grave so they get the inheritance. And one of the kids finally says, you know what, Dad, it looks like you got uh, 20, 30 more years ahead of you, so uh, can I have my inheritance now? Dad says, yeah. Writes him a big check. You know what the son does? The son walks away with the money and he lives the way he wants to live. You, can you imagine as a dad if all your kids wanted out of you was, was material things? Yet that kid runs off and he lives the way he wants to live and it just it doesn't end well for him. He doesn't even have enough money anymore for food. He's wasted it all. I don't know what the time period of that took. It could have been 20 years, 30 years. It could have been 10 days. And so he just... He, he decides, you know what, my dad, I can at least go back home. My dad has a big farm. I could be a hired hand at the farm. He doesn't even have to accept me as a son. I, he doesn't even need to acknowledge me as a son, but at least I know there's work there. Someone might have compassion on me. And he makes his way back home. And where's the dad? The dad's waiting in eager expectation for the son to come home. And you know, Jesus reveals to us in that story that there's another brother that's angry at the fact that the dad was so quick to forgive. Now, who are you in the story? Because I always put myself in the story of the father or in the prodigal when most often I've been the obedient son who gets angry at the fact that someone's been gracious. But why should I be upset that someone's been gracious? That someone's been merciful. That someone has done exactly what God has intended us to do. When in fact I should be putting myself back in the position of the prodigal. Dad, I haven't been perfect. I haven't been right. I have done some things on my own and they've turned up for nothing. Poor investments I've made in life. Will you take me back in? And the Father says, the Heavenly Father says, Matt, I'll receive you. I'll reinstate you. Put the ring on his finger. Put the robe on his back. Let's have a big celebration. Why? Because, because this son who I thought was dead is now been made alive. 